Last month, Tribune Star Sports Editor Todd Golden recounted the remarkable story of Glen High School's superb basketball teams of the late 1940s and early 1950s. But it wasn't just a matter of wins and losses. As good as those local teams were, they had to suffer the indignities associated with being a racially integrated team at a time when few of those existed. It's a 70-year-old story that resonates with our times. The inspiring rise and controversial fall of the Glen High School Pirates is our topic today. Greetings and welcome to this episode of the Tuesday Talk Podcast. I'm Max Jones, editor of the Tribune Star in Terre Haute, Indiana. This podcast is released on Tuesdays. Each episode focuses on topics of community interest and will feature interviews with those closest to them. The segments will be posted at the Tribune Star's website at tripstar.com and will also be available wherever you get your podcasts. My guest today is Todd Golden. Todd and I sat down last week and talked about his recent series, Retelling the Glen High School Story. My guest today is Todd Golden, sports editor of the Tribune Star. I should say longtime sports editor of the Tribune Star. Uh, it's great to have, have you with us, Todd. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's uh, quite an honor to be called long time, I guess. That means I, I'm old. That's I guess that's really better than that. being called short time. That's yeah. true. Uh, you know, it's been a, boy, it's been a strange three months. Uh, and in a, in a community like Terre Haute, which... Uh, is very active on the athletics front, a lot of lot of sports activities going on. You suddenly, like so many other things, uh, saw everything just stop about three months ago. So it's really been a challenge in many ways to adjust to that. Uh, on the other hand, as I've uh, kept a close eye and on your sports section the last three months, it uh, continues to be full of uh, really interesting and fascinating sports stories. And I've got to ask you, what it's been like to not have the normal flow of sports activities going on uh, these days? And, and, and how did you uh, uh, develop a strategy to, 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 to still keep a sports section this compelling? I think the urgency that I had to make sure that we were prepared for this was born out of the fact that I was at the Big Ten tournament game, which was probably the last major event that's, that was played. It was coincidence that I happened to be there. Um, I did intend to cover that tournament, but that was when everything kind of all hell broke loose, so to speak. And it became very apparent, if you've been reading about the, the, the pandemic elsewhere in the world, especially in Italy at that point, that it was going to be disruptive to our daily lives and disruptive to mass um, attendance events like sports. And... Sure enough, you know, pretty much the whole sports world collapsed uh, in the span of about two or three days that weekend. And it was incumbent upon me to make sure that um, sports just didn't die locally either. So what I did is I formulated a plan um, to do something that we've, we've called the daily top five. Um, you know, it's something I've thought of in the past of doing anyway because sometimes the summers are a slow time. Um, it's a way to create content. People like lists, uh, whether they agree with them or disagree with them. So that was what kind of entered my mind on that. Um, I wanted to do more frequent columns since we had the time. We didn't have live sports, uh, you know. And and I'm not criticizing the fact that we have live sports. We want live sports back badly. Yeah, sure. Um, but we needed it. We had time to fill the void, so we could do things like more columns. We could do. 
um, the Vigo Legend series, which we were lucky on that. We did the book um, in 2017 detailing eight uh, legends from each decade from the 50s on. So I went back and, and uh, utilized that. So we were fortunate to have that. Um, and we've done a few other things just to make sure that, the, that our audience, I, I'm a big believer, I wrote this at the time, that sports is a distraction for people. It's not the most important thing in the world, but it is important in the sense that uh, people need something to distract themselves from the daily uh, drudgery of life and, and a very stressful situation as this has all been for everybody. Um, so we needed to keep that going. I feel like that's our job. You know, we don't really talk about sports being a community role, you know, in the sense that we do of other forms of reporting or other forms of philanthropy and all that, but we do have a role. And I, I really wanted to make sure we were filling that role for the public. I'm proud of the fact that when I look back on this, when it's over, um, that there were times during this pandemic that we had too much local copy to put in the paper. <laughs> so, and I, I don't mean to pat myself on the back. I mean, it's been a group effort. Uh, David Hughes and Andy Amy have really responded to this well and done a good job. Um, and I'm glad the community has responded as well because uh, sports are important and we're gonna have a longer lull. We just found out today that the Rex aren't playing this year. So uh, probably at least until August, we're going to be out of the norm. So uh, we need to continue to um, do our job and give the community something to, if for five minutes, distract themselves from you know pretty, uh, pretty unprecedented and stressful situation. Well, I have to say the the reader feedback on your sports section uh, has been very, uh, very good and has made me feel good on your behalf. I think it's all right for you to pat yourself on the back sometimes. I mean, you you get your backside kicked enough that uh, uh, don't 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 that get that in my head. Then I'll start thinking that I need to do it all the time. Well, that's always true too. Uh, but I think the thing that has been uh, kind of has grown in my mind. Uh, as I've read some of the content that's uh, that has existed in our in our sports section lately, is that uh, it goes back to that old well-worn cliche uh, that sports is life, and sports often you can see life's and society stories in sports, and it's not just always fun and games sitting off and. Uh, in a remote stage, uh, acting out in its own culture. It, it truly reflects the culture of the time. Uh, and never more so than, the, than the, the really interesting story that you told a couple weeks ago uh, about the Glenn High School teams of the late 1940s and early 1950s. And I really want to uh, talk to you a little bit more today about uh, about that story. It, it, it was so remarkable and it hit with so much resonance, uh, that, uh, that I wanted to have an opportunity to, to delve into it uh, a little farther. It's an interesting, inspiring, uh, story with, a, a equally interesting cast of characters and uh, there's victory and there's defeat, and sometimes it's hard to tell which was the difference between the two. Mm -hmm. And it still resonates today, I think, with people who learn about it, talk about it, and read about it. Uh, and uh, uh, what I was uh, curious about that I wanted you to tell our audience uh, right away is that um, what, 
what drew you to this story? Uh, what made you want to write about it? What what made it sort of uh, light up for you as a, a story that needed to be retold? And, and 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 while you do tell me about that, why don't you give us kind of a quick quick synopsis about what this story really is? Sure. And what this story turned out to be was not what I thought it was going to be going in. My my initial cure. First of all, I'm a history nerd for one thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm more comfortable. Uh, I, when I was in college, I was a history and a journalism major. Didn't think I could make a life out of history. So in my infinite wisdom, I picked journalism. <laughs> the, you know, the real steady, you know, the steadier of the that. two. Yeah. That was uh, some bright thinking <laughs> on my part. But, you know, joking aside, I've always had an interest in history. And a couple of years ago, we were putting together our uh, Pizza Hut, or our first financial classic tab. And we compiled a list of all the original Wabash Valley classic winners to go in it. And in typing that out, I see that Glenn won the 19, they won in 1950 and 1951, but their 1951 title was vacated. And it just said vacated. And I never heard of that. And I was curious at the time, what's that all about? Um, didn't write about it at the time, but it always stuck in my mind. I need to check and see what that's all about one of these days. Because I had never heard, I've heard of Glenn High School. I've heard of all the old high schools, but uh, never heard that story before. Um, so the pandemic hits, and I'm reading through. Um, I went on the IHSA website for something unrelated to this story, and I noticed that the IHSA archived all of their old yearbooks. Uh, most people aren't familiar with the IHSA yearbooks. They're mostly a media function, but they have uh, all the lists. It's basically a, a, like a, a record book of who won sectionals and, and bylaws, boring stuff like that. Um, so I was looking in these old yearbooks, and the oldest IHSA yearbooks also list the minutes of all their disciplinary uh, hearings that they had. And it's really, fa- I mean, if you're into history anyway, it's fascinating to read that stuff, because there's all kinds of, most of it is minutia and not important. Like, I found one, uh, there was a player from Van Buren over in Clay County, this is back in the 40s, who requested whether he could play because he got paid to drag race in a race <laughs> at one point. So there's weird stuff like that that I found interesting. But anyway, I was in the 1951 yearbook, and I noticed the Glenn case came up, and and it obviously reminded me back of when my curiosity about why they vacated a title. And in very, very deep detail, the IHSA laid out their case. I mean, it takes up most of their... Most of their entries about hearings take up maybe a paragraph or two. This one took up several pages worth of, of time in their yearbook, and... And I was like, wow, I need to write about that. And I had no idea of the racial makeup of Glenn. I had no idea how successful they were in the late 40s and early 50s because I don't think they're discussed as much as some of the other legendary Terre Haute teams of the past. Um, initially, and I kind of saved myself, I was just going to write what I found in the IHSA book without any context of the racial angle of it and what ground they were breaking in terms of having an integrated team at a time when that was not common. Luckily, I did find that out before I finished the story and I delayed it and I ended up making it into a series of stories. So that's the genesis of it. And then once I got started and realized how historically important this was, um, I felt like it deserved a lot more than just kind of a Saturday story on a neat historical uh, nugget of history. Um, It required a lot more work than that and a lot more delving into from people who, the few people who are still around from back in those days, including a couple players who played back then, as well as people in the community. Um, Because what you find out, 
if you're if you're a journalist and and you and I don't consider myself a historian, but if you have a historical bent, is that history is not reported at the time that it happens in a lot of cases. If you go back in the Tribune Star archives, and I did, you aren't going to find a lot of material that says Glenn is playing uh, four black players at a time. They didn't write about that stuff back then. So to me, history is alive, and history needs to be reported as if it's oftentimes a, a current event. So. I don't know that a lot of people. I it's been this story has been written about before. I got to give Mike Lunsford a lot of credit. He wrote about it in 1998. He wrote about Oscar Session and Jack Williams again in 2005. And I did reach out to Mike for some help on this, and he was a great help. Um, but history is a living thing, and things evolve. And this is a story that deserves to be told uh, to a wider audience. I think there are some people that knew about it, but most don't. And so. Um, I'm happy to be able to be somebody who uh, brings brings this back into the current knowledge for people because you know I wrote a column about that was part of the, the series of stories I wrote and what one thing I am proud of is that we we talk about a lot of times there's a phrase you know that says uh, history isn't going to be kind to this and that um, sometimes it's up to up to us to be the ones who are the ones who are pointing back to the past and saying, we're not the ones who are going to be kind to, to a situation that was unjust. So there's a dual aspect to this story. I mean, there's justifiable pride in the fact that Glenn integrated. There's also a lot of shame in the fact that the racism they were experiencing at the time was also local. So it's an, it's an interesting dual part of this story that, <clears throat> that kind of cuts both ways. So recount for us why the racial overtones, the racial component of the story, and kind of bring us up to date with, with, with what happened and, and why. Right. Well, What's the background? Yeah. You have to give the first credit to Jack Williams, who was the, the name coach you just mentioned. of yes. Glenn. Um, he came back from World War II. He was a, a, I believe he was born up in Park County, um, but he came back um, from the war and coached at Otter Creek. Um, right after the war. Coached there for maybe a year or two. Uh, back in those days, I wasn't aware of this until I did the story, the trustees, the township trustees really had a lot of power over who worked in the township schools back in those days. There was an election. His Jack Williams' dad had been involved in Otter Creek politics. His dad got lost, got voted out or lost his job. New trustee comes in and he has his own guy who he wants as coach. So Jack Williams gets an open job over in Glen. The history of Lost Creek Township, and I got to credit Jim Webster, the Lost Creek historian, who was a huge help to me in this story and really filled me in on a lot of background. Lost Creek is where uh, one of the three townships in Vigo County where the black pioneers from the 1820s settled in and had farms in the northern part of Lost Creek. There was some of those farms in Otter Creek and Nevins Township as well, but most of them were in Lost Creek. So Glenn has always had, um, or had always had African-American students. Um, those students hadn't probably always had athletic opportunity though and so Jack Williams comes in and says I'm going to play pay the play the best players regardless of their skin color uh, that's a pretty radical concept for the late 1940s I mean we're talking about in Indiana at the time um, you're 20 years removed from the KKK running the state government uh, in the 1920s you're less than 15 years removed from a public lynching, the last one in Indiana. Um, 
Indiana never had Jim Crow laws, but Indiana was not a hotbed of racial tolerance. I mean, it just, you know, that just wasn't. And so to play, there were teams that played one black player, you know, the year before the Jack Williams got to Glenn Shelby, go won a state title with Bill Garrett, very famous uh, player in Indiana Indian history. Player, yeah. um, but most teams did not play more than one black player for fear of political consequences and um, and abuse within the community. It just wasn't thought of as the thing to do. Um, Jack Williams ignored that. Probably, um, I'm sure, based somewhat on his experiences from the war, but um, he decided, I'm just going to play my best players. And those best players happened to be, um, especially as the 1950s rolled around, black players. Um, and he took some grief internally within Lost Creek Township. There was some, I had an anecdote in the, in the stories that said, you know, that the fans weren't going to show up if he played more than a couple black players. And Williams brushed that off and said, when we start winning, we're, you're not going to be able to get into this gym. And he was right. They played a lot of games exactly at ISU the, yeah. once they became good. Um, so Williams kind of forged ahead and forged ahead against, you know, some headwinds locally. I mean, one of the anecdotal stories, and it's kind of funny, but it's also sad, is, um, uh, and, and Bob Stevens, another help to me on this story, who lived in Lost Creek, uh, relayed this to me as well as Jim Webster. Uh, Glenn wanted to have a postseason banquet in Terre Haute. And the two restaurants, the, the restaurants they named, neither one of them are still around, but they were around as of 10 years ago. Um, and were prominent at this time in the late 40s, early 50s. And Glenn wanted to have their banquet there. Well, they agreed if the black players came in the back door, which was the practice of the time at a lot of uh, uh, restaurants. And Jack Williams, who had had an incident earlier where they were pressed for time and he had no choice but the play had to have the players eat in the kitchen, refused to do that anymore, and he walked away. And they decided to have their banquet instead down at the Hilltop Inn in Owen County, uh, which uh, I I had trouble finding documentation of this because they don't the KKK didn't want to document things, but that was a hotbed of KKK activity in the 1940s. So the irony and the sort of sad irony being that they went into the heart of the KKK so they could actually eat as a team. So so there were headwinds, and 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 there were other things that led to some trouble for Glenn later on down the line. But, um, you know, it's a story of bravery in the in the respect that Jack Williams was willing to throw aside the societal norms of the time to. Uh, uh, I don't know that he intended to be a groundbreaker, but he was, and I think that's a story that obviously is, resonates. So Jack Williams is a is a main big player in this whole yeah. saga, and. Um, and then let's introduce the Session family, mm-hmm. a black family from Lost Creek Township right. who uh, happen to have uh, uh, not only just two, a couple of exceptional athletes, but, but exceptional people, as their lives uh, pointed out, uh, as they lived them out. So tell us about the Sessions yeah, the, where, what role they play. The, sessions, the Session family obviously plays a big role as, as this goes along. Uh, the Session family moved from Kentucky. Uh, that's where most of the Session boys were born in the early 1930s, which that comes into play later. Um, relocated to Vigo County, initially lived in Terre Haute. Um, they attended, I think, Thornton School um, when they were younger, and then they moved into Glen Township by the time they were high school age. So uh, I was separately doing research on the year-by-year history of Vigo County, and I was working on our oldest archive we have in here, which is from the 48-49 season. And 
Charlie Session, who was the first of the Session brothers to play, uh, was a young player, sophomore on that team. And uh, he played, he was one of the primary players. He wasn't the best player on that 49 Glen team, which was also really good. Uh, Jack Studi, who came from Otter Creek with Jack Williams and Neff Sense, which created some animosity in the community apart from the racial angle of this, um, was certainly at that time probably the second best player, would develop into the best player. Um, another important African-American player they had was, um, was, um, um, was uh, Phillips, their point guard, who uh, was an important cog. And then Oscar Session, uh, Charlie's younger brother, played as well and played until 1953. Uh, both of those, Charlie Session eventually went on to play at Michigan State after his Glenn career. So he was one of the best players in Vigo County at a time when you had some pretty significant, uh, you know, uh, playing ability in the county. I mean, what struck me when I started to research this is there were some really good teams in Vigo County mm -hmm. outside of Glen, outside of the big schools. Uh, State High was very good at the time. Um, Otter Creek was still good even without Jack Studi. Uh, Honey Creek was pretty good. Fontenot was good. Um, it was very competitive. And Glen was able to rise above that um, and rise above it, rise above a lot of the heat that they were getting in the enemy gyms at that time. So the Session family was on the front lines of that, along with the other black players that were playing for Glenn at the time. And, um, you know, you, you can't really, it's hard for people of our age, your age or mine, to walk a mile in those types of shoes because we haven't experienced that level of overt racism in our lifetimes. There's racism, but not overt racism like that. And so it's hard to imagine um, that those guys athletically succeeded to the degree they did um, with the abuse that they were enduring at the time. So you had this 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 great rise of mm -hmm. of of the Glen High School basketball program, led by Jack Williams and uh, fueled by some great players, including the Session brothers. First Charlie Session, later his his uh, younger brother Oscar, and they did so well. Uh, the the figure that sticks in my mind is is their three year record of uh, eighty two wins and only five losses. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly remarkable in any program, uh, and this propelled this small township school into statewide notoriety. So they rose to uh, a great pedestal and were uh, noticed and 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 renowned for what they were accomplishing, uh, both locally and statewide, and then. It began to crumble on them. What happened? Well, by 1951, Glenn, and that would have been Charlie Sessions' senior year, Glenn was established as the best team in this part of the state. Uh, by then, they had won the Wabash Valley Classic in 1950. They had been upset in the sectional in 49 and 50. They got beat by a really good state high team in 49, but they had a better record. And then Bob Leonard's Gersmeyer team, you don't think of Gersmeyer beating Glenn as an upset, but that was a big upset in 1950 when they beat Glenn. Gersmeyer was very good. Yeah, and Gersmeyer, of course, would go on shortly after that to become a state power. Um, 1951 was Glenn's year, though. They won the Wabash Valley Classic again. They repeated. They, they were the only township school to ever win the Wabash Valley Classic, much less win it twice in a row. Uh, so they were, the, they were ranked top five in the state. Um, they were the alpha dogs in Vigo County at the time. Um, but a combination of things was starting to 
and and you can call it racially motivated maybe um certainly jealousy motivated for sure but there were rumors out there that charlie session was over age now you have to put this in the context of the period of time too this isn't like high school sports is now where you're bringing in medical documents before you play a game you know you're having all your inf- all your information's on file just as a normal student you had people coming back from the war who were playing high school sports after they did a tour of military duty you you were eligible to play high school ball until you were 20 in those days um, and records weren't as good in the 19 you know people born in the 1930s for that period um, so the rumors got out there that somebody had gone down to Kentucky to examine whether uh, uh, Charlie Session was uh, was over age, and a birth certificate was found that uh, where he was born in 1930. Now, of course, we're in the 1950-51 season, so that would make him 21 years old and over age uh, by IHSA rules at the time. But only that last year. Only that last prior year. Prior to that, yeah. um, there was contradictory evidence that came up. Um, that suggested that Glenn may have known about it beforehand. The principal of Glenn, there were multiple birth certificates that have been filed. Um, there was one that had him filed as a 1932 birthday. There was yet another one that had him filed as a 1931 birthday. Um, however, it never really came, so far as my documentation was concerned anyway, to Jack Williams' attention until towards the end of the 1951 season. Um, and it became confirmed when they took Charlie to a selective service uh, uh, to, a, to a selective service office and they pulled out a document that said he was born in 1930. That all occurred after though the 1951 tournament where Glenn advanced to the semi-state and got beat by Evansville Wrights. Um, the, I guess if you want to call it a conspiracy theory that many in Lost Creek feel is that there were elements in the in the Terre Haute community that uh, wanted, you know, that turned them in. And th- they were formally turned in by several schools in, in the area to the IHSA. Um, there was an, I don't, there was an apocryphal thing that was told to me by many people that the IHSA commissioner visited Glenn during their, in their locker room in Bloomington. They played the semi-state in Bloomington in those days, saying don't win this game because you guys aren't, you're going to be booted out eventually and a lot of people think that put a lot of pressure on Jack Williams that wasn't with the players that was with Jack Williams but uh, so this was floating around in the air um, as Glenn finished their 1951 season I did find one reference to it in our archives I didn't mention it in the story uh, from the sports editor of its Tribune sports editor at the time Bob Nesbitt who did mention that I've heard a lot of rumors going around but I don't believe him Jack Williams is a stand-up guy blah 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 that kind of thing so it was floating around in the community at the time. The IHSA stance on it was, we're not going to do anything about it until somebody turns in a formal complaint, which happened in May of that, of 51. Almost graduation time. The season's yeah. long over. season's gone over. And, and um, Charlie's about ready to graduate from high school. Right. And so ultimately that investigation began and was concluded in June of 1951, where it was found that Charlie Session was over age. Um, but there were... Some circumstances about it that you know don't that 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 were mysterious now probably a little bit mysterious back then as well. So hence the word vacated. 
that you right. mentioned earlier, and, and that's where this word starts showing up in documents. We're talking about a period of time, too, where organizations were not afraid to be a little bit draconian. You know, organizations were like, if you don't follow the rules, we're going to put the hammer down on you. Probably even more so, if I'm being honest about it, to a school that was, you know, playing four black players at the time. Um, the IJSA, in their, I, and one of the stories was on their investigation, came over to Vigo County and found evidence that, that Charlie Session was born in 1930. His mother, Fanny, had claimed that she had a, a child that died in childbirth, and then she had another child two years, or two years later that uh, she also named Charlie. Um, the, after talking with her attorney and after some pressure, she backed off of that statement. Um, and ultimately agreed that the 1930 birth certificate was the valid one. Um, but even that doesn't sit well with me. I mean, you know, I wrote in the column, you know, you're talking about the, and the IHSA lays it out in their minutes, they literally had the IHSA, you know, including Commissioner L.V. Phillips, confront her and say, hey, you don't really think that this is, you know, that you don't really think that there was a discrepancy in the birth certificate. These days, that would not be okay, you know, to have somebody basically right. gang up on the mother of an athlete, um, you know, and basically sort of, um, you know, badger them into making a statement. It cer certainly seems like, based on the evidence and based on all the documentation since then, that he was really born in 1930. So, uh, so I think the truth ultimately did come out, but the way the IHSA handled it was pretty ham-fisted, and... And when they did handle it, they really came down on Glenn Hard. They actually kicked them out of the IHSA for the remainder of 1951 um, in all sports. Uh, IHSA didn't govern as many sports then as they do now. Um, and when they did come back for the 51-52 season, and Glenn was still good. They still had Oscar Session, um, among other players who contributed in 1951. They weren't allowed to come back until January. They were limited to playing a 10-game regular season. This was at a time when basketball started at November 1st for schools that didn't play football like Glenn. So you took away two months of their season. Separately, the Wabash Valley Association kicked them out of the Wabash Valley Classic, so they weren't allowed to defend their title. Uh, they vacated their they vacated. They vacated their 51 championship for having an overage player. Um, did the punishment fit the crime? Maybe. Maybe not. I guess that's uh, uh, a matter of opinion, but um, certainly they didn't let off, they, they didn't go easy on, on Glenn. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, knowing the context of the times, um, you know, did they, did they hammer a team a little bit harder because maybe they were considered brazen at the time for playing black players or anything like that? I mean, you have to ask questions like that. And then what happened to Oscar Session, the and then brother? Oscar Session was also investigated, this time without merit. As it turned out, his birth certificate was valid, and he was uh, of age to play through the 1953 season. But um, ultimately, he got a judge in Vigo County to certify his Kentucky birth certificate, and that kind of squelched the uh, investigation in the crib to some degree. But he was made to sit out six or seven games in the 1952-53 season, uh, which cost Glenn a couple wins that year. And was still penalized. In and that that's the point where you have to ask yourself, is this gone beyond some a team that was pushing the rules a little bit to 
are they out to get, you know, a certain element of the team? And it's no mistake that they went after two brothers who happened to also be African-American. The same schools were involved in the initial investigation as there were in the second one. Um, there was an element of a little bit of a witch hunt to that. And uh, ultimately, the IHSA did the right thing and, and exonerated them. But, um, you know, it, it, if you put it in the context of the people involved, it, it's, uh, it, it was unfortunate. Now, back to Charlie's session. Uh, it was established that he indeed was overage. But an interesting point that you make uh, in, in, in your series of stories was, does that really matter in the big scheme of this story? And what, what I think, did you mean by I that? Think the way I, look, I think the way I look at it is that historically, does the punishment fit the crime? Does Glenn, because I think because of what happened, and I'm not attributing any emotions to the people who were around back then and who have kept legacies of certain teams alive and certain teams not, I don't know that there's any kind of, you know, it's not like it was intentionally suppressed. But I don't feel like Glenn is remembered in the same sense that some of our other great Vigo County teams are. Um, you look at the 1950s, and the first thing you think of, as and there's and as you should, are the great Gerstmeyer teams of the early to mid-1950s where the Andrews brothers were playing. They went to two state Final Fours, two straight Final Fours. Uh, later on, you had Garfield and uh, Terry Dishinger playing in the late 50s. Gerstmeyer made it again to the Final Four in the late 50s. Those teams deserve to be remembered, no question about it. But... Perhaps because Glenn got into trouble, um, I think that team's been brushed under the carpet a little bit. So when I say the punishment doesn't fit the crime, I almost mean that in the historical sense of they should be remembered. And it's like it's time to forget the fact that they had a player who was overage at a time where there were probably a lot of teams that had overage players because of the confusion of players coming back from the military and things like that. So I think that's what I mean, mean by that, that they ought to be remembered right there with the great teams of Vigo County history, and especially with the pioneering um, way they integrated uh, basketball in the county. You make a strong point, I believe, in the column you wrote that accompanied uh, the series of stories, uh, where you suggest that perhaps Glen High School and this team of Glen High School should actually be uh, in the Hall of Fame, Basketball Hall of yeah. Fame, uh, in, in, in some way memorialized and remembered. What brought you to that conclusion, and how, how would you see that uh, coming about? Well, I, I say that be, without knowing the absolute integration history of every county in the state. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and claim that um, they were the first integrated team that played four black players from a school. You know, there was uh, Chris... One of the schools that joined them in the Sweet 16 was Christmas Attic. So there were schools that were segregated on purpose that had, obviously, you know, more than four black players playing. Um, I don't know for a fact that Glenn was the first school that had mixed students that uh, elected to integrate. I can't say that for sure. I do know that they were an integrated school that succeeded at a wildly high level, uh, faced racism at its worst in the you know this is before the civil rights movement where people who were of a racist bent could really act without with uh, impunity they didn't have to worry about society calling them out on it 
And that's what those Glenn players face, the white and the black players. Um, and not only did they face it down, they succeeded wildly. As, as we mentioned, they only had five losses. I mean, even if you take the, 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 um, the racial angle out of it, which I don't think you can, but even if you did, I mean, that was a wildly successful team at a township school. I mean, we think of one of the, one of the unfortunate things, and one, thing, one of the reasons I think Glenn isn't remembered is Glenn doesn't exist as a school anymore. Um, consolidation has wiped out the legacies of a lot of these schools, and there's not a whole lot of people who remember these schools that are still around who, who attended them. And so I think it's amazing that a township school succeeded that wildly anyway. You know, um, Then you add the racial element into it. And I think that the Hall of Fame is not a, an organ, and I'm not criticizing the Hall of Fame, but they're an organization that is almost exclusively recognized teams that succeeded on the court, usually at a state championship level, to be fair to them. I do think, though, that this accomplishment that Glenn had at the time needs to be recognized and be remembered statewide. Um, I think it's a great story um, that can really, you know, that's inspiring for people beyond beyond wins and losses and beyond the, you know, ball going through the hoop. Well, I think you're absolutely right. It, it, it is a great story. It's a remarkable story, and, and uh, I'm so glad you took the opportunity during this period of time when there's not a lot of athletics going on on the court uh, to uh, to re to revisit this piece and and uh, uh, and explain to folks once again what happened in their community uh, all those years ago uh, and uh, uh, what what truly was an inspiring and, and remarkable turn of events. So Todd, I hope you get back out onto the field soon. Sure, me too. <laughs> uh, and in the meantime, boy, keep up this great work, and, and I appreciate you talking to me today. Well, thanks, thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for giving me the chance to tell the story. You bet. Special thanks to the Tribune Star's sports editor, Todd Golden, for sitting with me for this interview. That concludes this episode of Tuesday Talk. We'll be back soon. For the Tribune Star, this is Max Jones. Until next time.